I'm so glad that you're here tonight because this is our final sermon in the Red Letter Day series for now. We're actually going to pick up this series next year. We have a a great series coming in the summer and in the fall, but we're going to pick this up next year because Jesus said way too many things just to have one series. We're going to have to go back to it, but this is kind of our final one for this summer, and then we'll, we'll join in again. But we want to learn what Jesus was saying in the red letters in the Gospels. And so we've been taking time to look at different phrases, different verses, and, and apply them to our lives because Jesus wasn't just talking 2,000 years ago. He's talking to all of his followers for all time. And so Jesus is talking to you in the Gospels and In talking to you, he's equipping you to follow him, and when you follow him and do what he says, you'll become like him. That's what a disciple does. That's what a follower does. It becomes like his master. If you missed any of them, they're all available online for free. You can watch, you can listen, and I might even make reference to a few tonight as we go, but um, I want to go back just a few weeks ago. We had a great Pentecost weekend. We had a great Father's Day weekend, but A few weekends ago, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and there were some comments I wanted to make uh, regarding the Sermon on the Mount, but I just didn't feel it was appropriate at that time. One, it would have made the service too long, but but secondly, we wanted to look at Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 by itself, and we were blessed to have people who read it for us, and it was a powerful, really challenging, had a lot of Uh, comments about hearing God's word, and and if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it again. But I want to make some comments regarding the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount changes everything. Jesus comes and he says, this is, it's going to be a new way of doing things. It's not just going to be the old way of rules and following rules. It's going to be a new way about a relationship with me, but I'm going to take it to the next level, Jesus says. We're going to crank this thing up a notch in your relationship with God. And, and so he said things like, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. Again, he just cranked it up. He said, you've heard you shouldn't murder, and that's good, but I'm telling you, don't even hate anybody. You heard don't commit adultery, so don't do that, but, but don't even lust in your heart. I mean, he just, he just takes it to a whole new level, and, and Jesus is changing things And this is something that's actually unique to Christianity, is that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, it's no longer about a list of do's and don'ts, it's now about your heart. It is going to be all about your heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, your heart. For God, it's always been about the heart. Even when there were a list of rules, he, he still looked at the heart when... Samuel was missing out on the calling of David as king and looking at David's older brothers. They were taller, better looking. But God said this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't see, the, uh, see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says, I'm going to look at your heart. Now, for some of us, we may say, well, that's a good thing because I'm not good at keeping all those rules. So I'm glad that he looks at the heart because, you know, deep down I think I have a good heart. I'm not perfect, but I got a good heart. I don't know that you do. You might think that you have a good heart or that you're doing the right thing, but how do you really know? Because sometimes we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Actually, Jeremiah tells us the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is. 
if God looks at the heart, I'm not sure that we're all okay. So how do I know that my heart's right with God? Because I'm going to tell you, as, as I look at life today and I watch the news, I realize we are living in a pretty serious time. I think it's really important that we have our heart right with God. So how do we know we have our heart right with God? It's kind of a, a thing inside of us. How do we really know? Well, in your car, how do you know how much gas you have? There's a gauge that tells you. And when it's between the F and the E, you can figure out where you're at. And, and I believe that the Bible gives us a, a gauge for our heart. And I'm going to give you five biblical tests for your heart tonight. To make sure that your heart is right with God because it's so important. If God says that's the standard, it's important that we have the right heart after God. So what are the biblical tests for our heart? Well, the first test given is our tongue. It's what we say. Our words, what we talk about. The tongue is an important gauge to the heart. It says in James chapter 1 and verse 2, for if we control our tongues, we would be perfect. Wow. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. What are some words in red? What does Jesus say about this? He says in Luke 6.45, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is a voice, is the voice of the heart. What's going on in here is going to come out through your words. Your words are actually the harvest of your heart. And so what does your language look like? What do you talk about? What's on the inside of you? And I always liken this to a cup. In the cup, you place whatever you're drinking, and, and whatever's inside that cup is eventually going to come out, whether you take a sip or you get bumped and it spills. What's on the inside of you is eventually going to come out. And one of the ways it comes out is through your words. I never forget when Luke was just a little boy, before he could even talk, we would take him out to eat and maybe go to McDonald's or something, and he would get a Happy Meal and, and trying to be healthy with him, we would get him something like a, you know, maybe water or something like that. I personally like milkshakes when I go out to eat, so I'd get the milkshake. So he, he'd have his cup, I'd have my cup, and, and he would drink his water. And one day he took a sip out of my cup. And, he, and, and from that point on, he would always say, Daddy's cup? Daddy's cup? I want to drink out of Daddy's cup? Because there was something different inside. See, whatever's inside is going to come out eventually. And so what's inside of your heart is going to come out through what you say. What is in your cup? What happens when life gives you a little bump and you spill something out? What do your daily words tell you about your heart? Let me give you some questions. You can write these down. These are questions to ask. And just write these down or just meditate on it. Gauging by my words, what is the condition of my heart? What am I saying? What, you know, am I, do I have some, some foul language, some negative language? Is there something that, that is gauging me in the wrong direction? Are there any habits or patterns of, in uh, your speech that need to be confessed or submitted to God? How would those around me be changed if, uh, for the better if my words were consistently kind and encouraging? Wow, that's, that's some good questions there. When you're, when you're about to talk, 
When you're about to say something, ask yourself, is this loving? Is this kind? Is this true? Is this right? Is this even necessary to say? See, the tongue is a gauge to your heart. Another gauge, another test is your treasure. Specifically, your finances. How you spend your money is an indication of what's going on on the inside. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this in words in red, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. What do you seek first? I've talked about money in the past, and, and money is one of those slippery subjects to talk about because money acts like a god like a deity. It forces you to worship it. And you may say, I, I would never worship money. Yes, you do. You get up in the morning when you don't want to get up, and you go to a job that maybe you don't want to go to, and you, 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 spend, your whole, you spend more time at work than anywhere else. And so you are forced to worship money. And like a deity, it says, you just need me and everything's taken care of. If, if you listen to our government, if, if you listen to schools, if you listen, if you listen to yourself, everybody says, if I had more money, we could take care of all the problems. I just need more money and that'll take care of all the problems. It's saying, worship me. If you have enough of me, you'll have no problems. It forces us to worship it. But Jesus says very clearly in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And when I give to God, I'm saying I'm seeking you first, God. I'm giving you the first of what I have. It belongs to you. I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life working. I'm going to have to provide for my family. I'm going to have to work. But God, you're number one. I'm going to give to you first. I'm going to honor you first. It belongs to you. I worship you, God. And in your heart follows your treasure. That means that our feelings follow our action. It's not that I feel like I should give, so I'm going to give. It's not I give, and then I feel like giving. So your heart follows that. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And this is really important because there's a familiar verse in 2 Samuel 24, 24. And it's actually when David has to give a burnt offering to God, and, and, and this farmer comes down and says, look, I'm going to give you everything. I'm not only going to give you all that you need for the sacrifice, I'm going to even give you the land that you're sacrificing on. And David says this, I, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I need to give. I need to show God, this is my heart. I can't offer something that you give. I've got to give something that costs me. So the question for a heart is, what are you giving? What are you giving that costs you something? That tests your faith? That, that pushes you? Because radical giving in our life is a test of the heart. And here are some things that, that radical giving does. And you can write these down if you want. Radical giving helps, me defeat, helps defeat materialism in our life. 
You're not going to be able to do everything that you want to do or buy everything that you want to buy. It will defeat materialism in your life. It helps us walk in faith. Because it's going to take faith to be a giver. It helps us walk in joy. I'm going to tell you, when you give, and we saw a little bit of that on the, on the screen earlier with the kids' pantry, there's a joy in giving. It helps us walk in abundance. When we give, all of a sudden we realize how much we have. It's when we hold on to things that we think we, we don't have enough. It helps us walk in abundance. It helps us say thank you. It's like a tangible way of saying thank you, God. And it helps us think about eternity because we're not storing up treasures for ourselves. We're storing up treasures in heaven. Jesus said this in Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's what Jesus says. Our treasure, our giving is a test of the heart. It's our third test. Third test is time. Time. How do you spend your time? You looked at your calendar right now and, and saw all the things that you have to do in the coming week. What would it tell you about your life? These are things that we have to do. I'm not saying that we have to clear our calendars and just say, okay, God, fill up the calendar. No, I want to go back to a message we talked about where we said, God is always with us. And you can go back and listen to that if you want. But, but I want to give you some words in red. Jesus says in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. Jesus wants this abiding principle to be in our life. That he wants us to abide with him. How much time do you spend with God? It's not just about what time do you take to come to church or do your devotions. How much time do you spend with God? I talked about in the message with He's always with us, that He created us to always be with Him. That's the relationship He wants with us. And He says in the next verse, in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God says, I want you to abide with me, and then there'll be fruit, there'll be life. And, and if, if we're cut off, well, that's when we're going to have nothing. That's, that's when, when our hearts aren't right. So the question is, are you abiding with God? Not just wiping your calendar clean, but are you abiding with him at each appointment in your calendar? Are you abiding with him in the morning and in the evening and throughout the day? The Bible tells us in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Or very simply, to never stop praying. To be with him and abide with him all throughout the day. If you can say, you know what, no matter what I'm doing, I'm abiding with God, then you know your heart is right. It's a great test of the heart. Am I abiding with God throughout the day? The next test are our thoughts. Jesus talks about this very directly in the Sermon on the Mount. But let me ask you this question. What are the pervasive thoughts in your mind throughout the day? It's really important because you are what you think about. And so what do you think about? Are your thoughts full of worry or lust or anger? Do you have sad thoughts or happy thoughts? 
you have good thoughts, you think in your mind, I'm no good. This will never work out. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What we think about is so important. And so this is what I want you to get here. And this is one of those verses that I have highlighted and asterisked and circled in my Bible in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take, every, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought needs to be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. And so what does Jesus say in words in red? And, and we sang some of them tonight. He says, I love you. I call you my friend. Jesus says, all things are possible. He says, I am always with you. I am here to heal, save, deliver. Jesus says all of those things to us. And so we need to take every thought we have and make it captive to what Christ would say. It says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our thought life is an indication of how our heart is with God. So that's another test that we have. What's that final test? It's the test of trust. It's the test of trust. Where do you put your hope? Where do you put your faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. The cure for worry is trust. I want to tell you, you have too many promises in God's Word for us to not believe, for us to not trust. It was, it was uh, I don't know, I was so encouraged before service just talking with, with Chris about Katie. I just, your, your level of faith, I was like, yes. I don't increase my faith. I don't know. I'm just, and now we're just praying for, for Katie to be able to come home from the mission field and have her baby. And, and, and I want to tell you, when you put your hope in what God says, and you don't waver because this looks bad or that looks bad, there's too many promises in God's Word that we, we have hope. We can stand on His Word. We can have boldness and confidence. We can have insurance. I don't have it on, on the screen, but, but John 14, 1. You know what Jesus says? He says, don't worry. Believe in me. Don't fret. Don't, it's gonna, he says that right before he goes to the cross. They're at the Last Supper. The disciples have no idea what's coming. He's like, you know what? It's going to look really bad in just a few minutes. But don't worry. Believe in me. Trust in me. Hope in me. And so like the disciples asked, prayed in Luke 17.5, just pray, increase our faith. Increase our faith. See, God looks at the heart. So we test our heart through our tongue, through our treasure, through our time, our thoughts, our trust. And I have to be honest with you, as I was uh, meditating on this this week and, and thinking through, I was, uh, I've honestly been challenged by all five this week. All of them. I failed on all of them. And so it's hard because it's like, this is what God checks. He checks our heart. And so how 
can I, how can you have that heart right after God? Well, it says in Psalms 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What I have to tell myself is that I'm going to live according to your word, God, not according to how I feel or what's happening right in the moment. God, I'm going to live according to your word on every issue, all the time. And when I live according to God's word, then I know my heart is right with him. But when I stumble and fall, and I will, and I'll mess up all five of these probably next week, but you know what I do is I look at the cross and I say, the cross paid for that. Jesus' blood has that covered. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Because guess what? This is the bottom line. God is in the heart transformation business. He's going to transform your heart. When you obey him, when you follow him, when you listen to his word and obey his word, something's going to happen where your heart is transformed. And that's what God is looking for from the very beginning. He's not looking for you to see, well, did he do it or did he not do it? He's like, does Daryl have a heart after me? Are the gauges of his heart in tune with me? When he fails, does it go to the cross and then come running to me? See, I believe the Holy Spirit will lead us. He will guide us. He will help us with all we need. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight. And we're going to worship the Lord together in a very quiet way and just allow our hearts to be right with God. As we prepare our hearts to worship Him, Jesus just, from the very beginning of His ministry, said, look, it's all going to be about the heart from here on out. And tonight we've learned just a few tests that Jesus gave us to find out if our heart is right with God. And you may be like me and messed up on all five of them, or maybe there's three or four that were challenging to you, or maybe there's just one that's glaring, I don't know. But tonight we come to the cross. We watch God cover us. And we allow Him to transform our heart. So as we're here tonight with our eyes closed and our head bowed, Leanne's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work now in our hearts. Create in me a clear. 